Hi, you're listening to Hello Audio, a podcast by The Venue Berlin. Every episode, we bring you the latest topics and the best entrepreneurs of music, audio, and tech. Hello Audio by The Venue Berlin. Hello and welcome to our new episode of Hello Audio. Today we are on the road at Future Music Camp and I'm sitting in front of Peter Knees from TU Wien and uh, we want to talk about music recommendation today. How does it actually work? Maybe Peter, you can give us a quick overview about yourself, what you do and what your relation to the topic is. Well, first of all, thanks for having me here. It's a really an, an honor and pleasure. So my background is in computer science. I'm at the TU Vienna, as you said. Basically, I'm in this area of music technology and music consumption um, for almost now over 15 years already. I started doing this during my master's thesis already. That was a time when uh, MP3 was actually the, mm -hmm. the latest thing and MP3 players and sharing of music through Napster, for instance, and these things. And at the time, it was quite exciting to consider the possibility of having machines and using machine learning and artificial intelligence to understand what's in the music actually and helping organization of music collections or helping the user and exploring what's in the music collection, building search engines and these questions. So that was basically how this started. Now, in terms of what the challenges are or what I'm doing, it hasn't really changed that much over the years, but we are having a different framing of the question now. Now, mm -hmm. not MP3 is the incredible thing and MP3 players and the iPod and these kind of things, but now we're having the situation that People don't own music anymore, they're just accessing it, everybody's streaming music, um, you have access to millions of songs, and nobody knows all these songs, so it's actually a question of recommendation. And in terms of research background, it's really a transition over these 15 years that I'm in this area now. Great. Can you give us a quick overview about how recommendation systems actually work and what the most common models are at the moment? Sure. Um, so for music recommender systems, The core component, I would say, is the same that you have in all other domains. And that is a technique called collaborative filtering. And people know this very well if you go shopping online. It's what you see on Amazon, for instance. Customers who bought this also bought that. Mm -hmm. And you get recommendations that way. And in music recommendation, you have that same principle. So people who've listened to this type of music, to this music, to this artist, and so on, also listen to I don't know, so-and-so. Yeah. So that is basically the driving force behind all of the big recommendation engines you find there. But there's other aspects as well, not only collaborative filtering. One thing you can, you can do, and actually I think Spotify is doing that, uh, is also looking at what's happening on social media, what's happening in the community, where's like a buzz generated, really monitoring what's, what trends are going on as well, which can be useful for making new suggestions, for finding mm -hmm. interesting artists and of course you can look into the audio uh, or into the music directly so you can analyze what's in the song try to find things that um, that sound similar um, trying to describe the mood of a song the genre it belongs to which instrumentation what does the singer sound like and so on so there's algorithms that can do that not perfectly mm -hmm. it's quite challenging to do that would metadata also be a big issue for this metadata is is a way of solving it mm -hmm. having metadata definitely what the algorithms do that do the audio analysis is basically generating the metadata for you mm -hmm. 
The alternative, if you really want great metadata, is you have to ask people. You have mm -hmm. to have experts that go through the music and listen to it and write down what's in there. Which is impossible if you look at the amount of songs that Spotify has, right? Oh. You would you would think so. So mm -hmm. with uh, with 40 million songs, of course, this is not feasible. But at the same time, for instance, Pandora, which is big in the US mm -hmm. as, a, as a streaming service, they've done exactly that. This is how they started. They started from this idea of the of the music genome project, is what they call it. Mm -hmm. where they have experts, so typically musicians, um, sit down, listen to the songs and write down on a very detailed level what's in the song. So which instruments are there, um, what does the, the voice sound like and so on. Of course, we don't know in detail mm -hmm. what they're looking for. It's a bit of their, their uh, secret. But um, the idea here really is that you do these high quality annotations that way and you can use that for recommendation and that works very, very well because this type of data you don't get anywhere else. So yeah, so coming back to if that scales, you would think it doesn't. I think in the first 10 years or so, I don't know the numbers by heart, but I think they managed to actually annotate almost a million songs or even more than that. And having this type of information already then allows, again, to train new algorithms or to train machine learning uh, algorithms to make these annotations automatically. So mm -hmm. this is a really powerful um, basis of, of information that you can then use to make an automatic system for the same purpose. So maybe for 40 million and uh, songs, it's, mm -hmm. it's still a different question. But, but uh, scalable still, yeah. It's, it's surprisingly scalable. And, and they even do that not only by one person, because there's lots of subjective stuff in there as well, like mood, for instance. Mm -hmm. they, I think they have have three people checking each song so I mean there's a lot of work going into this data. Wow have you had the chance to check out the different music recommendations between Pandora and Spotify would you say that Pandora definitely is better or is Spotify just a different way to do it? So my experience with both of the system is not very deep I have to admit so for personal music consumption I'm not resorting to either of those okay. and also Pandora it's quite tricky to access if you're not in the US. Yeah. I think I think they're actually starting from different ideas of, of what they're doing and where their recommendations are going. Probably their direction is now very much similar over the years because, well, people want you know comparable services. But Pandora is coming from this idea of um, having automatic radio stations. So um, you start with one artist with one song and it keeps on playing stuff that belongs there mm -hmm. and you can give feedback. Whereas Spotify originally was, um, the intention of Spotify was to provide you with all the music that there is mm -hmm. just via streaming. Now, for Pandora, the point was that you could not access a, an individual song and you could not select the one that you want to listen to because it was just a matter of fitting that general area. Now it's also a service where you can select every song if you're a premium subscriber. But Spotify, on the other hand, was not about recommendation to begin with. They just figured out if they have these millions of songs, there's no other way of navigating that, yeah. that collection by any other means. So they need to do recommendation. And once they have people listening, then they can apply these collaborative filter algorithms, of course. How would you say are these algorithms changing the way people are listening to the music and what impact does it have on the artists, especially on newcomer artists? Do you think it's easier for them to be found if their music serves a certain genre maybe or a certain way of production? Or is it even harder? Because if you just say, if you talk about those collaborative filters... I guess it's easier for musicians who are already famous to be found again because people who listen to something and know another artist will probably more likely listen to a famous other artist. Well, 
Definitely, it's, it is that way if you consider the way that these algorithms work. So mm -hmm. if you're not part of the system to begin with, then you have no chance of becoming part of the system if you follow just the idea of using past behavior to predict future behavior. Mm -hmm. So you have to make a, a conscious decision of introducing new music and making it available. You need to bias the system in a way. Maybe that's a positive bias, but you have to open your system in order to, mm -hmm. to allow that. Um, for new artists, it really means they have to get into the system by being on somebody's playlist, ideally on playlists with lots of followers or being featured by the platform itself. Um, this is how you can get into the system. It's basically the only way how you can get into the mm -hmm. system. Just from past behavior, this, this wouldn't work. And probably it changes the way that artists have to present themselves or how they have to, um, the strategy that they have to use mm -hmm. in order to get into these systems. But if you think about it, in the end, it becomes the same strategy that there always was. You have to convince somebody that your music is good and yeah. there needs to be a human that, that likes your music. It's not necessarily an algorithmic question um, what your music should be like or what it should sound like. It's really more a question of finding people who, who like it and then um, stick to it and convince other people that it's good music. I had a similar question regarding the, the sound itself if the algorithm checks the sound itself and uh, looks for similar songs, we were thinking, well, does it change the way people are going to produce songs? Are they only going to produce it in a similar way? But then again, I just thought, well, there's radio as well, and people probably already do this, right? So do you think there will be a big switch or do you think it will just all stay the same? I, th I think you, you get it exactly right. Everybody thinks, okay, now if machines make the judgment uh, what is good music and what sounds similar and so on, then it's very easy to just have to trick the machine. But I think the pattern is the same that there always was. People listen to what's popular, what works well, and they go for that because it's currently the trend and everybody wants to you know, jump on the bandwagon and take advantage of whatever is, on, is going on already. So I don't think that's really a question of um, whether you have algorithms in the process or not. I think generally this idea of, you know, having new technology in the process and seeing that as a reason of why music is now becoming worse is, mm -hmm. well, it's just a typical cultural pessimism that you have with every technological <laughs> development. But yeah. with all these new things, I think in the end it opens a new opportunity rather than really being the end of culture. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let's uh, check the algorithms out from the other side, from the listener point of view. It's not just about music recommendation. We were thinking about recommendation systems in general. We thought, is there an issue if you only get recommendations based on what you're already interested in? Might that limit your own personality because you might not find any new interests, maybe different genres, new hobbies, whatever. If you're only in your own little bubble and only see stuff that you're already interested in, is that going to limit yourself? So the risk of filter bubbles emerges everywhere where you have these recommender systems. That's just an effect of, of how they work. I think they can lead to a, a narrow view of the world. I'm not sure if it limits your personality, but it could increase the likelihood that you're not open to new things and you mm -hmm. think this is the whole world, not only in terms of music, but generally. But it's, it's a known problem. And I think in music, it's less of a problem than in other domains mm -hmm. because this is typically where people are more open or more adventurous to try out new things yeah. more than in other domains probably so for those people who know exactly which music they want to listen to and they're not interested in discovery at all um, it doesn't really make a difference which yeah. platform they're using or which tool but it's exactly the reason why there's different services and different features on the platforms 
And it's actually one of the big challenges for the platforms as well to figure out when you're in a discovery mood and when you're in a um, just listening mood and want to exploit what they know about you and listen to your favorites and so on. But knowing this, when is the right time for introducing diversity? When is the right time to introduce something new? Knowing this intent of the user beforehand, that is the actually the big challenge. So. At the moment, they can't solve that. So the solution to this is simply to have multiple features and leaving it to the user to um, decide which of these to use. So if you feel like you want to find new music and, you, and you're bored with whatever you have, because mm-hmm. this can easily happen, then you go to the tool that allows you to discover new music and it tells you this is discovery, you know, and then you, you can do yeah. exactly that. And it kind of gives power to users in that way as well, because now you can express your intention directly and say, okay, I want to find new music. You might not be happy with what it recommends, but at least it gives you the possibility of finding that. And algorithmically, it's easier to to be controlled than with any of the other forms beforehand. So if you say, um, okay, I'm listening to my radio station now, but I'd like more diversity in there, Mm. then this is something where it can be adapted. Whereas if you're listening to the radio, typically that's not happening for you. That's true as well. Yeah. When I listen to music, I use Spotify a lot. I used to listen to just uh, one genre for a few weeks and then my weekly recommendation was really good and I thought, oh my God, I really find a lot of new songs that I really like and then on other weeks I mix it up. I was listening to maybe hip-hop in the evening, electronic during the day, then maybe some piano music and then my weekly recommendation was completely screwed up and it even recommended music that I I didn't like it all and it had nothing to do in my opinion with the music I was listening to although it was very diverse and a lot of people tell me that they have this issue that they don't really like the music that gets recommended to them is that an issue that they have trouble to filter those different genres and understand when you're listening to it and when you're in the mood for it or is the recommendation system just not as far as we might think it is? I think it could be it could be the latter. What you're describing is known as the as the gray sheep problem, and mm-hmm. that is if you don't have one defined taste and don't really fit one niche mm-hmm. very well. Being part of these several niches is exactly when the system doesn't really know how to serve your um, your taste because it tries to find similar things in all of these sub areas of your taste, and then it kind of you know like gives a couple here, a couple there, but typically not a directed concept of of where this is going. When you say you listen to this type of music in the morning and maybe this other type of Mm. music in the evening, there's maybe the solution there that it picks that up because there's routines based on, you know, like time of day and the day of the week and so on. Mm. That I think is something that could be picked up and then it works better because then there could be a specific recommender for that Um, for that time but yeah having a diverse taste is really one of the of the big issues the question or why i think this could be solved or where a possible solution could be in the in the future is really understanding the user better maybe also in terms of personality trying to find maybe the the underlying factors that go across all these different genres not just being a matter of genre but Mm -hmm. what is the 
reason why you like this song within that genre mm. and not another one and maybe it has something to do with you or mm. your overall taste but this is really in its infancy I would say this type of development there's definitely more that can be done and yes I think recommenders are not as good as, as people think they are the, the hope is always that the machine figures out what is relevant and you just feed it with the signal mm. of what people have listened to and somehow the machine will come up with a, with a model that finds out what the relevant aspect here is but sometimes you just have to tune the system a bit yourself or programmers have to do that and if they know there is something like this then it could look for that but if they haven't figured out this is an issue maybe there's not enough users that it really pays off to introduce this then it probably won't happen so yeah really a lot of it is is not so much magic but a lot of it is is fine-tuning and i think more than people are aware of Yeah. What do you think will be the future of music consumption when it comes to music recommendation? I think it's not going to be recommendation alone. Mm -hmm. So the big back catalogs of the record companies, they will always have have the role. It will always be important. People love their hits. They know that they love the classics. They want to listen to specific tunes. But I think it will become much more personalized, not only in the, in the way that they know which song they should play for you and stream for you, but also maybe in the sense of which song they should compose for you because mm -hmm. we see a lot of very interesting and exciting developments in in the area of automatic music composition currently going on not saying that it's at the point where it really can't be uh, distinguished from manually written songs and 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 manually produced songs but at least it looks quite promising what can be done already and um, for certain genres like um, the whole launch music, chill out music and so on, which is already quite formulaic already. Mm -hmm. An algorithm could do that as well, probably. So if people listen to launch music a lot, then probably it doesn't matter if this has been produced by a person always having the same repetition in there or by yeah. a machine. So in this, in this particular setting, I think you could have an algorithm actually create music on the fly for you from the knowledge that this is the type of music you're interested in at the moment. So rather than um, know, having the model of which songs it should find in a database for you, you can also use the same parameters to steer some new composition and trigger something in this direction. We're not there yet, but I think this could be the future. And it doesn't have to be full compositions all the time. It could just be variations of a song. Mm -hmm. It could be that, you know, I like a song really a lot, so I like to listen to a 20-minute version of that song rather than a three-minute version. So the algorithm keeps repeating, picks out some of the segments, keeps repeating these segments, varies back and forth. So I hear that song that I really like in an extended fashion. Um, you know, there's many ways of, of how existing material can be recombined. Um, I think this would be very interesting and I think would definitely be a, the next step or another step towards personalization of um, of streaming and, and recommender systems. Also, I mean, there are lots of rumors out there. And for example, Spotify is, of course, partially owned by the big labels. So if there are recommendation systems in place, do you think they could use those systems to rather recommend their own um, artists and push them more than other artists? Um, so Spotify, I mean, or for the big for the big labels, um, definitely yes. I mean, 
So first of all, the question would be, who owns actually Spotify? I think this is also one of the big questions. Um, there's so many stakeholders in this yeah. company. Um, so the real question is who's, whose purpose they're really serving with their company goals. Yeah, and the, and the majors are all invested in there. So not knowing what their contracts look like, but I'm pretty sure that they can steer um, and also do steer which artists get the slots on their featured playlists and um, maybe also um, identify you know where, where's more revenue for them with mm-hmm. for certain songs that they play not so much what is really the ideal recommendation for the for the listener because there's typically more than than one correct recommendation or one appreciated recommendation yeah. and if you have a pool or a set of of choices then you can always go for the one that gives you most revenue so i think it would be stupid of any platform not to do that in the end i mean they all have to generate value and make money and become profitable at the end of the day <laughs> i'm sure they will reach that and i don't know can only be like 10 20 years from now how do you see those algorithms being used in the music industry currently is it only for recommendation or is it being used for other purposes as well and what do you think will be the future of it i was thinking maybe about individualized advertisement as well If you know what your listener is getting emotional about, you might be able to trigger a listener with certain songs a bit better than with others. Yes, definitely. The The real power lies in the in the knowledge of what users like and what triggers them. That's really the valuable data that they have, these user models. And then, of course, they can use it for other things as well as not only for music recommendation, but for instance, well, music recommendation in a specific context like you, like you mentioned. I think the same concept... Um, or the same information can be used in many areas of the of the um, music industry as well and is already used there. I mean, think about tour planning, booking of venues, having mm-hmm. an understanding of where are the people that like which artist and how likely are they to go to the concert mm-hmm. based on their um, listening profile, which merchandising do I have to sell where and everything that is connected to the music business, I think just really thrives with this data. And I think this is also the reason why the majors are all willingly invested in, in platforms like Spotify because they want to have access to that data. And they know that in the end, the usage of their uh, of their catalogs is much more valuable than actually just the royalties that they're getting because there's so much more in the music industry than just those royalties. So yes, the building these user profiles is um, definitely something that can drive a lot of business and advertisement is, is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you see most challenges in the music recommendation system in the future, maybe also connected to your work that you're doing? So what I mentioned before, mm-hmm. user intention, I think, is one of the big frontiers. You see how people, um, what they've listened to, but you don't see what they haven't listened to typically mm-hmm. from the data. Well, maybe for the platforms, it's it's a different question. They know what they've offered, but what hasn't been clicked. But still, that doesn't necessarily mean that it was wrong. It mm-hmm. just wasn't maybe the best choice or not the first choice. But From this limited signal that you're having, it's very hard to really find out what the intention of the user was. I think that one interesting way to really interact with the user more, not turning it into a one-directional audio stream like radio stations were with Mm -hmm. uh, some feedback where you say, I don't like it, not Mm -hmm. knowing why. But with all these personal assistants like like Alexa and so on, really ask, why didn't you like that track? Mm-hmm. Or just ask whether you want this track or the other track. It should not require too much interaction really to keep the playlist going, but it would help uh, significantly in understanding why people make these decisions. And 
having this more holistic view of why people listen to which music in, in which situation, I think this was the next big step uh, for research as well as for an industrial application. Right. We're really curious about what's going to happen with that in the future. Is there anything else uh, you would like to get off your chest about this topic? <laughs> I mean, there is definitely with every algorithm that, that you're allowed to collect data about mm -hmm. yourself. There is some risk involved. Now, for music, it might not be too severe, mm -hmm. but still, it, could, it can tell a lot about you. And you can mm -hmm. also use this information of what you've listened in order to trace it back to um, demographic information and so mm -hmm. on. So what can be done with Facebook data where people can predict like um, religion or even sexual orientation mm -hmm. or, or gender or whatever from what you liked on, on social media. It does not work that as well with music, but there's some information in there. And we've shown that in our own research that you can predict some of these personal traits and demographic information and so on just from the music listening behavior. So there is some risk in terms of privacy and so mm -hmm. on involved. Still, I think the music recommendation and everything related to music listening is still a very low-risk area mm -hmm. and also one of the reasons why I'd rather work in this area <laughs> than somewhere where it really can have a much more negative impact. So, yeah, I think this is a generally more positive area to apply artificial intelligence and machine learning I think it's, personal data. Yeah, it's funny that you say this about the risk of the data because I think most of the AI people I talk with who are in Europe and talk about data collection, they tell me Europe is so far behind because America and China, they are way more open about data privacy. And that's why we might lose track. You hear that all the time and you hear that this battle is lost already. Mm -hmm. um, you also hear the other side and that is that the US and Australia and, and Asia are all looking into what's happening in Europe in terms of GDPR and so on, mm -hmm. because in this regard, at least, Europe is really on the front when it comes to AI. Now, maybe that's a bit too cliche and, and it's not how people like to see, um, you know, innovation potential and so on, mm -hmm. that there's so much critical thought and there's more the concern about regulation than about enabling technology. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think this is who we are. I really think this is part of the European identity mm -hmm. to um, really think first what could be the implication of what we're doing here. Is this something that fits our tradition and our humanist heritage, actually? And the idea is not primarily to really give away whatever we have in terms of data or people or whatever to some business idea. This is how it works quite well, apparently, in the mm -hmm. States and in China for different reasons. But I think this can be the European way, if you, if you ask me for a um, bit of a broader perspective, is to think about it first and maybe not make a mistake. The development in AI will be there nonetheless. And it's not necessary to be the first country in the world or the first continent in the world that has self-driving cars, for instance. I think it's okay if we don't have any people killed by self-driving cars. <laughs> I think this is more important. So there's many reasons why it's very important to follow closely what's happening, um, make contributions to the research, be on the forefront of the development, but not necessarily on the forefront of the application. I think that's a very nice other view as well on this whole topic. Thank you very much. We have uh, one last question that we always ask the people we interview. And that question is, what is your favorite track at the moment? 
Okay, um, to give the audience a bit of context, you're asking me this in the week of the Eurovision Song Contest. So my, <laughs> so my mind is full of, of crappy songs at the moment. So, That's okay. <laughs> and I would not consider any of them to be my, my favorite track, but this is what I'm listening to right now at the moment. Yeah. After that, I hope things go back to normal. Um, <laughs> let's say I'm, I'm keen to check out the new Chemical Brothers album. I haven't listened to that mm -hmm. yet. I hope there's something in there for me. And yeah, I hope there's new stuff coming up in, in the near future that will be my favorite track, but at the moment I don't have one. <laughs> Great, thank you. Thanks to Melodrive for the jingle and to Tamara and Josie for producing this podcast. 